0: Hello and welcome to the Process Automation Podcast, a podcast from ABB that shines a light on their process automation business area and the work they're doing around the world. I'm Fran Scott, maker, presenter, and all-around engineering geek. And across this series, we've been exploring the invisible force of automation. So that's the incredible processes happening under the surface that enable our day-to-day lives. From the heating in our homes to the water in our taps, ABB's technologies are working behind the scenes, orchestrating industrial processes, machinery, and systems. Today, we are looking at the future of process automation. For more than a century, automation systems have been absolutely central to empowering industries that provide these basic building blocks of our everyday lives from energy, power, water, metals, minerals, chemicals and transportation and enabling them to scale to meet the needs of a growing population. For more than 40 years, AVB has been leading the way when it comes to something called Distributed Control Systems, aka DCS. Now, these are at the heart of the largest and most critical operations on our planet. Now, if you recall the first episode of this series, I spoke to Peter Tervish, the president of ABB's process automation business area. And we discussed the key role that process automation is playing in making the world safer, more efficient, and increasingly sustainable. Now, Peter introduced us to many of the industries that are benefiting from ABB's work in process automation. And over this series, we have put those under the microscope industries like shipping and water to mining and continuous emissions monitoring. Today, we are going to dive deeper into the driving force behind process automation and find out exactly how distributed control systems are transforming the future of so many industries. To do this, we'll be speaking to Mike Williams from Modern Automation Consultant Services based in Boston about the workforce of tomorrow. But first, we'll hear from Bernhard Escherman, Chief Technology Officer for ABB's Process Automation Business Area, about the development and trends that ABB predict will impact automation in the future. I started by asking him where exactly it is that we see process
1: automation. If you look at the industries that we serve, like energy, power, water, metals, chemicals, pharma, and so on, uh, typically they operate around the clock, either with a continuous production flow or running a sequence of production batches. So for example, if you open the water tap at home, you just expect water to flow all the time and without interruption. And while all of these commodities are central to our everyday lives, they are actually provided with a relatively small number of people running such facilities around the clock. And the automation systems thus provide a large and growing world population with a reliable and cost-effective supply of these basic needs. And they optimize productivity, ensure product quality, reduce risks to people and the environment and optimise resource and energy consumption.
0: Gosh, so just a a few things there that they do, Um, but let's focus in on the distributed control systems, so DCSs. So can you tell me a bit more about how they work?
1: Obviously, it's a very abstract subject, so I always try to compare that with something that people know. And and the thing that people usually know best is their own body. (laughs) And the automation system is like the nervous system in the brain of the human body. So it collects sensory information from all parts of the body and triggers certain reactions. Industrial plants are obviously much bigger than the human body, and thus the nervous system in the brain are distributed over this large expanse, which is why the automation system for such industries is known as distributed control system or in short, DCS. And if you look at uh, these distributed control systems, they can be found pretty much anywhere in the industry where critical processes need to be monitored or controlled. Now, the sensors that they rely on are Instruments measuring properties like temperature, pressure, or flow. And the muscles, if you compare that with the human body, that they use to control the plant are industrial equipment like motors, valves, pumps, stuff like that. And in a larger industrial plant, you've got tens of thousands of such sensors and actuators. Now, in between, you've got communication networks and industrial-grade computers, and they actually decide on what needs to be done. As an example, to ensure the safety of of a process, you might measure the pressure in a tank, and the computer would reduce the flow into the tank and increase the flow out of the tank by computing, communicating appropriate signals to the equipment connected with the pipes going in and out of the tank. And if uh, the pressure becomes too high, obviously that might be dangerous and uh, thus this whole thing has to be done with an extremely high reliability of the computer and the communication system, which is why multiple redundant components might be used. They monitor each other or are able to jump in if needed and thus provide for uninterrupted, uh, safe operation. You also have all of these different levels in an industrial control system, from keeping the pressure in the reaction vessel safe uh, through controlling the overall reaction in the vessel, to control the overall production in a part of the plant, to coordinating multiple plants. Yeah? For example, you might need the steam output from one plant to feed production in another plant. And ultimately, you have to decide what specific product variant you want to produce anyway. At some level, you move then from automation to human decision making. At this interface between automation and humans, it's critical to provide the needed information to the human people, to the plant operators and other staff through computer workstations or so-called human machine interfaces. And which are typically located in a so-called control room. So it, it has to enable a person to deal with the huge complexity of a plant. And another function needed in the DCS is to allow for engineering changes as raw materials or production processes change over time or certain production equipment is replaced. And by the way, the control rooms do not necessarily have to be in the plant like on an offshore gas platform in rough seas. Instead, you might have the operators sit in a cozy office somewhere on land.
0: In terms of as industries are obviously developing, how does a distributed control system support them? I suppose as, they, as they're as they going through this fourth industrial revolution and what I see as sort of this, this up-and-coming fifth Industrial Revolution. What is the role of the DCS in supporting these changes?
1: If you look at these process plants, they live quite a long time. You don't tear down and rebuild a chemical plant every five years. While on the other hand, uh, you actually have uh, a couple of Windows versions during the same time frame. At the same time, market requirements influencing what exactly should be produced are changing more and more quickly. And so customers need to renew technology to stay competitive, but with this 24 seven production, they also want to keep producing continuously while technology might be updated, even if it's only for the newest cybersecurity patches. And EVB has always provided new capabilities to meet these changing needs of the time while preserving the investments that customers have already made in their plants. That's one of the reasons, I guess, that ABB has built and maintained a leadership position in DCS over the last 40 years and has been the number one choice according to market analysis for more than 20 years. If you look in the future, one of the newer developments central to the fourth industrial revolution is a much higher level of flexibility. For example, you want to produce personalized medication that uh, is not the standard medication for everybody, but just for one person. We've also been working on the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning to augment humans' capabilities for decision-making that allow them to focus on the higher-level decisions that I described. Another development uh, that we've been supporting is the digitalization of industries. With a control system having all of these inputs from the sensors, there are huge amounts of data available on the operation of a plant. And an obvious move is to bring the data out of the control system uh, to analyze it and based on this to optimize the overall production or the energy efficiency or whatever of the production. And in order to combine the ability to adapt to these technologies quickly, while having a very reliable production that should not be interrupted, our concept is to have a very stable and robust inner core of the system that can be extended, however, by additional capabilities without creating risks on the basic operations and their safety.
0: With all the changes that we're seeing in the industry and technology, we're already seeing, I suppose, a new generation of digital industrial workforce, so, so people. So could you tell me how this digital workforce are influencing the developments of future distributed control systems? So what are they seeing that's happening now and how are they, I suppose, swaying the developments of the future?
1: Yeah, if I look at my children, uh, and that's probably true for a lot of this Generation Y or Generation Z employees, they are digital natives that are used to interact with, with technology without ever reading a manual or going through a training. And on the other hand, they don't have the 20 to 30 year experience that the baby boomers have accumulated that have been operating these plants over the last 20, 30 years, and thus uh, the automation system has to provide support and interaction patterns that uh, this generation is used to. As an example, rather than people scanning through long alarm lists, the system has to identify critical situations by finding anomalies autonomously by looking at the data stream dig out automatically what mitigated such a situation in the past, and maybe offer the operator to also simulate the result of an action before actually doing something. And this is exactly where AI and machine learning in today's technology can help.
0: There is no doubt that we are seeing machine learning and AI integrated into our lives. And as we look to the future, we can see that how we work is also changing. I spoke to Mike Williams for Modern Automation Consultant Services to ask where process automation and distributed control systems come into this.
2: It's very important. Uh, when you look at autonomous operations, essentially taking yourself on a journey from manual to automated and ultimately fully autonomous solutions, you must look at that as as an investment, okay? And future-proofing means making sure that that investment is spent wisely. You know, the definition of future-proofing is the ability to expand and adapt to the business changes without wholesale rip and replacement of those legacy systems. This is very important from an economic standpoint. It permits the end user or customer to implement new or upgrade old functionality incrementally, no big bangs here. Investment in incrementally to achieve uh, business requirements, which do change over time. Future proofing allows the business to lower the business risk and increase the return on investment without the fear of becoming obsolete or non competitive.
0: So, what you're saying is the DCS, in a way, lays a, a digital foundation that can then be added to bit by bit as new technology comes on the scene.
2: That's absolutely correct. And and fundamentally, the attributes of a future-proof system address the issues of horizontal and vertical uh, integration, specifically horizontally the ability to scale or add to shop floor devices over time, and also vertical integration or extensibility upward from sensor to the boardroom from a communications interface application interaction capability. This interaction may involve not only the shop floor, but it may may involve design engineering, supply chain, financial, and even research and development.
0: So what you're saying is there's this holistic approach at all levels of technology and all levels of people as well, I suppose, because along with the changes in industry and technology, we're already seeing the workforce adapting into i suppose the next generation of digital industrial workforce so how are the developments in the technology changing the industrial workforce so so changing the people themselves i suppose
2: you've probably heard of something called the industrial revolution 4.0 or industry 4.0 we've entered a new age of digital transformation where computers are fundamentally being substituted for actual human beings. This is because uh, of the need or requirement for higher computational and communications capabilities. And the question is, that you're asking is how do we navigate from, from what is a human-centric environment forward in, into a computer-centric or autonomous plant operations environment using the new technologies? Well. Quite honestly, the result of digital transformation simply is that physical tasks are being replaced with logical execution uh, executed by remote devices. So, simply put, the answer is uh, traditional operators are now going to become knowledge workers, and these knowledge workers will be using computers, augmenting their human cognitive abilities to solve very complex problems, which they could not solve on their own. And these complex problems are situations like uh, abnormal equipment operation or suboptimal situations where the equipment is not performing as well as it could. With these these new digital transformation tools and techniques, human beings who are still in the decision-making loop can make these decisions quicker with better accuracy and less variability. Essentially, you're translating less hands into more heads. (laughs) So the need for human beings is accentuated, and the span of control of of the human operator is going to increase, resulting in less human error and, more importantly, less human beings in the hazardous environments, which exist in, in the process industries, thus improving the quality of life while increasing productivity, safety, and quality.
0: And I suppose the next stage of automation is the introduction of machine learning and artificial intelligence. So how will these become part of these systems?
2: That's a very good question uh, and and is not well understood in, in the marketplace today. I like to use a, uh, a maturity matrix called the level of autonomy, which starts with fundamentally totally manual operations and evolves as DCS control systems have evolved through time over a, a f- five distinctive capabilities or levels of autonomy from zero to five. When you're talking about technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning, what you're trying to accomplish is even more sophisticated tasks than, than simple loop control and understand the interdependence of of equipment, uh, not only with the human being, but machine to machine, using advanced mathematics and statistics to predict the future, not just the the current situation, but predict the future and be able to optimize the processes to achieve the maximum uh, result. Um, An example here might be quite useful. You've everybody's heard about autonomous vehicles, autonomous automobiles. Uh, multiple sensing devices are mounted on, on the car, and continuous calculations are made to ensure that the vehicle operates safely in an optimum manner. The same example exists in, in the process industries, and the objective here is to use artificial intelligence and machine learning to perform similar duties. As an example, to extend the mean time to failure of a piece of equipment, thus avoiding unplanned downtime, which disrupts the customer fulfillment process, minimize uh, the maintenance costs, and even improve the quality of the product that's being manufactured. Now, I'd like to remind you you at this particular point in time, one should always remember that a sound Level 3 Autonomous DCS Foundation is required to enable the advanced capabilities of artificial intelligence and machine learning. I have a saying that I like to tell my my clients, actionable intelligence has zero value unless it is acted upon in the correct context in a timely manner. This is the role, the action is the role of the DCS and the intelligence is provided by artificial intelligence and, and machine learning capabilities.
0: So if we looked at this, I suppose, zoomed out, what are the key benefits of all of this?
2: Uh, the, the benefits uh, of artificial intelligence and machine learning are, are in the process industry, specifically related to process safety, product co- quality, the ability to improve the productivity without eliminating the human being, elevating the human consciousness and being able to achieve most importantly our sustainability goals which is our right to operate or our permit to operate so uh, one of the emerging issues out there benefits of, of higher levels of automation and, and artificial intelligence is to achieve our sustainability goals to protect our planet let me give you an example you know process plants are huge consumers of Energy and and water resources required to sustain human life. You know, consuming these resources in a responsible manner is the objective of companies today. More than eighty percent of the uh, C-suite executive officers see sustainability as a prime objective of them remaining in business and being profitable. To achieve this. Automation and an advanced autonomous solutions like AI and machine learning are required to meet these business objectives.
0: Such an important part of it, this sustainability, not just from a planet-friendly point of view, but from a, a continuous production point of view as well. With things like the pandemic, that showed us that automating your processes meant that they they could continue in a way that if they were manual, they just wouldn't be able to.
2: Right. Uh, the process industries exist to improve the the standard of living and and the, and those things that we enjoy as part of our 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 livelihoods and and to achieve this in an economical way and uh, meet the objectives of of uh, sustainability. We believe in the process industries that automation or the in Industrial Revolution 4.0 is absolutely essential. The digital transformation is absolutely essential to achieve mankind's goals.
0: I absolutely couldn't agree more. And it's not just the digital workforce that process automation is transforming. This technology can also be used for so many industries. So it's back to Bernhard for a final word on how AVB's technology is transforming industries from energy right through to the world of fashion.
1: Obviously, two of the most important topics to make human life more sustainable are circularity, to avoid waste creation and reducing carbon emissions by increasing energy efficiency and the use of renewable energies. RenewCell is focused on the first of these aspects. It's a fast-growing Swedish company specializing in textile to textile recycling. So they close the loop when garments are worn out or no longer wanted. Some are obviously sold second-hand or used as hand-me-downs, but the vast majority today ends up in landfills or are incinerated. And what RenewCell is doing is that uh, they are changing that with a new technology by dissolving the used cotton and other natural fibers into a new biodegradable raw material which is called RenewCell pulp. And that can be turned again into textile fiber and uh, thus goes into this textile production cycle again. They are using a number of ABB technologies among those ECS that enables the production to be as resource efficient as possible with less material consumption and reduced waste.
0: Gosh, that sounds fascinating and you know that is the very definition of A circular economy right there, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and uh, obviously, uh, while you circulate uh, garments in this case, obviously, the process uses energy. And so this is exactly where you also have to look at the second aspect, that uh, this whole process becomes as energy efficient as possible and hopefully uses renewable energy to be driven.
0: Yeah and exactly sort of switching the conversation now onto onto energy usage because energy is the largest consumer of natural resources and when it comes to industrial plants i suppose shifting to electricity and so you know having that potential of using renewables i suppose is part of the solution but could you tell me briefly what role the dcss would play in enabling this clean energy transition?
1: Yeah, uh, well, again, I try to use an example from everyday life. Let's assume you sit at home and uh, want to mainly use electricity from the solar panels that you have on your roof. And then you've got certain electricity loads like right now your computer that probably you don't want to switch off. Then you've got other loads like the well refrigerator Uh, You can switch that off for a certain amount of time, but probably not too long. Uh, And you've got other things uh, like your sauna that you might decide, okay, uh, I don't want to operate at this point in time because there's no sun right now. And all of these decisions are now decisions that you take, but you've got hundreds of similar decisions to take in an industrial plant that uses both conventional and renewable energy resources. And at the same time, obviously, the plant needs to produce something to create a payback for operating the plant. Another example uh, that you can actually look at is this topic of carbon capture and storage, trying to get CO2 out of the air and moving the carbon out of that somewhere in a safe place where it can be stored forever. This is a Technologically very complex process that needs lots of equipment that again needs to be controlled in the best possible fashion and uh, as energy efficient as possible. So again, it's a typical application for a distributed control system.
0: So when it comes to the future, Bernard, um, what excites you? I suppose when it comes to DCSs and also process automation in general.
1: Well, friend, if I think back twenty years ago computer and communication technology created a lot of constraints that we had to deal with and that we had to build the system around. And now most of these bottlenecks are gone. Uh, So we've got all of these great new technologies at our disposal, powerful computers, powerful communication systems, AI, machine learning, augmented reality, All of these things, that means that uh, instead of focusing on the constraints of the technology, we can really focus on creating value from this technology now.
0: What a pleasure it was to speak to both Mike and Bernhard about these distributed control systems and what an insight they gave me and hopefully you about how these systems are at the heart of process automation and these, these systems that we all take for granted and take advantage of, and also how these DCSs can, can future-proof these processes. So they're there for this growing population. But unfortunately, that is it for this episode. Of course, a massive thank you to Mike Williams and Bernhard Eschmann for their brilliant insight and expertise. I'm Fran Scott and the Process Automation Podcast is a fresh air production for ABB. Follow or subscribe now for free wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.